Come on, motherfuckers, it's time for the skeleton war. That was awful. It was indeed very awful. It was... It was... That was terrible. Beth, why why are you so useless at this? I don't know. It's a spoopy Halloween house of buds. All right. My name is Alex, and this is Beth. I'm Beth, yeah. Mm-hmm. And this is our podcast, House of Bards, which is, generally speaking, about uh, role-playing games and the shared narrative uh, method of share, you know, the, 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 the storytelling between people. Um, yeah, yeah. And I, I have been told by people, by person on Tumblr, that this also contains generally good writing advice. Uh, it would, because so... it's about role-playing, not role-playing. Yeah. Uh, that's... That's a really difficult distinction saying to to enunciate verbally because they are homophones, mm. really. Yes, though I say usually. Yeah, let's face it: write writing and writing by yourself. Really, what is that but just really lonely, free form RPing? Really, that's what it is, essentially. Playing with yourself. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, so that's that's generally week... that's generally what this podcast is about. But this week. It being Halloween on Saturday, or it should be when you're hearing this. No, fuck that. I mean, like, I will try. I will try and get the editing done. But I'm back at university now, and shit is happening. I'm hoping Halloween will not have become too colossally irrelevant by the time that this goes up. Yeah. I mean, you know, so it's probably Halloween at some point in the week, or... Halloween is indeed a festival that has happened at some point in time. Yeah, or maybe it's it's just been. But to be fair, I think November's a fairly spoopy month as well. I know there are a lot of people who, like, as soon as it hits November 1st, it's they're in Christmas mode. But I personally disagree. I think Halloween kind of goes through October and then kind of ends around November 18th and then Christmas begins. That is a good, um, a good. And Christmas doesn't really <laughs> end until like. That's a good February fourteenth to, to have. Well, that that's a less good. But it's a good attitude to have to Christmas creep. I feel because I personally yeah. am not all that fond of Halloween as a festival in the real world. Um, but I mm. am a fan of how if you have a small shop, it is difficult to make your Christmas creep go into October if you have to also stock Halloween stuff. As far as I'm concerned, that's that's the yeah. only only good function of of halloween yeah i i fucking hate it when you go into a shop and like halloween (laughs) hasn't even happened yet and it's all christmas stuff it's for me christmas it's christmas creep for me and i know for you it's it's halloween creep well i mean no no, those are separate things like like halloween stops like it it hard stops christmas creep halloween can also halloween creep (laughs) but that's a separate thing no that's true yeah (laughs) anyway i feel really bad I, you know what, I feel really, because you say I feel actually really bad for Americans, because they have, like, Halloween, Thanksgiving, and then Christmas, and that's all in the space of, like, three months. Oh, and then they've got New Year's as well. And then yeah, Valentine's Yeah, but fuck New Day. Year's. Nobody has a good time on New Year's. 
Like yeah, New Year's true. is yeah. going to a party in the middle of the night, and not even the good middle of the night, with people you barely know to stand around in their living room, probably drink too much. If you don't drink too much, you're going to have a bad time. If you do drink too much, you're going to have a bad time because you drank too much. You'll eat shit food because nobody has any real idea of what's actually supposed to be associated with New Year. And then some total bollocks that nobody actually cares about will happen at midnight and you'll go home. And Fuck New may- Year. Maybe you'll enjoy Jules Holland's Hootenanny. Maybe. I mean, it's the only thing that's bloody on, so you'd better enjoy it. I know, yeah, right? Christ. As you know, the, the, the best Halloween I ever had was playing Dragon Ball Z Budokai with my brother and cousin. That was all of Halloween that we did. Not, oh, not Halloween. and... And immediately in the morning, you realise that you've got to memorise an entirely like different set of four digits to end every single time you robotically write down the date, which is really, That's really true, irritating. Yeah. And you don't need that bullshit like six days after Christmas where you're going to feel fat <laughs> for the entire time and just sort of drift through it in a haze. That's why New Year is so shit, because everybody it has is. just had... Christmas or whatever the hell you celebrate instead that generally happens around the same time and you're so like wasted on that that nobody is actually in a fit state of mind to organise anything interesting or worthwhile for New Year yeah that's true, it's true. I mean like, like I'm not a fan of Halloween but man fuck New Year yeah fuck New Year it's like Halloween like at least with Halloween you can decide on October 1st if you want, I'm going to have a Halloween party, I've got a whole month to plan it. Shit, you can do a fairly decent Halloween party in a week, actually. Let's be honest, okay? Right, because all you need is food, beer, and spoopy costumes, right? New Year's, what is New Year's like, really? That's the thing, There's not nothing, like... nothing is associated with it, because all New Year's ever have been shit, so there hasn't been any yeah. point whatsoever where people have been like... Yeah, this should be a tradition. I mean, fireworks. We have fireworks because we know that, like, fireworks are like the distillation of parties because, like, you look at a firework and you think, yes, this is a party in a small explosive charge. It makes a lot of light and a lot of noise very suddenly, which is what human beings tend to do when they're attempting to have a good time in a large group. Fireworks are a party on tap, which is why we do them at New Year's. There's also, like... The 4th of July in America and the 5th of November in England, but those... I never got why they were kind of a thing on the... Because, I mean, initially they wouldn't have been a thing on the 5th of November, right? Because fireworks weren't really a thing until the Americans decided to insert them into our lives, right? Surely. The Chinese invented well, fireworks, Beth. Well, yeah, I, I know. I know the Chinese invented fireworks, but Americans presumably foisted them upon us. Like, they foisted pumpkins and... Like, God knows what else shit. I don't know. I'm, I'm, know. I'm going to call citation needed on that. I fully believe yeah, that the British in, needed. Like, discovered when, when, fireworks from the Chinese. Yeah, when, yeah, when, when were fireworks time. like a mainstream thing? I don't know. Like, the main reason the why uh, we do fireworks on the 5th of November is because, like, we in England have this really weird ingrained cultural memory of celebrating the death of a Catholic terrorist, which is actually kind of uncomfortable when you unpack it like that and there's a a number of of friends I have here in Ireland who are actually really really incredibly uncomfortable about that but I mean I guess that's fine at least in Belfast because I don't like it when people set off fireworks in Belfast because this is like one of the few towns in the UK where you can do that thing that you do in America where like you hear a bang noise and you're like was that a gun I don't know 
Anyway, we are colossally yeah. off topic, even if we are talking about like holidays and shit. So we should maybe get around to the thing that we were going to, supposed to do. Yes, <laughs> yes, Halloween. This is Halloween, and these are some scary monsters in Dungeons and Dragons. What perhaps. we decided that we would do is uh, we're going to go through um, some monster manuals. Um, mm-hmm. We're going to start with the 5th edition monster manual. There are a couple of really good things in my 2nd edition monster manual that I want to talk about as well. But I think maybe we'll mm-hmm. go fast through that. Um, 5th edition monster manual, you can expect quite a lot of people who have either recently gone into the game or have recently re-got into the game or just want to keep up with the additions to have. Mm-hmm. Especially if they DM. So we will provide page references if you want mm. to uh, read along at home. I don't know if yeah. that's a particularly relevant thing to do, but it seems appropriate in this situation. Yeah, well, you can pause the podcast now and run upstairs or downstairs or rifle through wherever you keep your books to find the 5th edition monster manual uh, if you want. You can pause it right now. <laughs> You're not so allowed anywhere... to pause it at any other time, just, just specifically No, that yeah, time. just only when I give you permission. This is this is the kind of podcast this is, guys. You track back like 10 seconds to when Beth said that and then pause it there. You yeah. can't pause it at any, any other time. Yeah, like, this is the kind of podcast this is, guys. I control... Like, very much like when I am the DM, I control the horizontal and the vertical. I control your fast-forward, backwards button and your pause button as well. Uh, you actually can't click off the video right now. You'll find you're unable to do that because I'm a very spoopy person. I am a moderately spoopy person, but... You're not you're not spoopy at all, Alex. That's fair. To say. I all mean, even of, I'm not that really time, that spoopy. All that time I spent practicing my impressions of classic Hammer horror actors, most of whom are dead. And and you're going to come into my house, and you're not actually going to come into. That would be weird, right? We have this this list. What, what we have twenty one monsters on the list. We're going to do one, and then after that, mm-hmm. we're gonna. Well, I'm gonna roll a virtual d twenty to see which other ones we do uh, in case we run over time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, you have the list, Beth. Which one do you think we should do? Which one do you think is the most, um, the mo- mo- most typically spoopy that we definitely should include? It's mm, a good question. Um, let's see. Hmm. This is Halloween. 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 Um, I I want to talk about. Um, I think I would like to talk about. Vampires. That's what I want to talk about, actually. I've decided. All talk right. about vampires, because, to be honest... I mean, there are a couple with... of things on the list that are maybe a bit more typical, but vampires are definitely a horror staple and something that comes yeah. out around and this time And to be honest, year. I'll admit, you know, I'll admit, I've actually been on a bit of a vampire kick lately, what with uh, the news that Stephanie Mayer is going to release, or has released, um, the 10th anniversary edition of Twilight, where she switched the genders of the main characters and stuff. It's amazing. And I don't know why. I wasn't initially into Twilight, actually, when it was released. I was like, that's silly. Vampires don't sparkle. Um, See, I don't really have a problem with vampires being written as a wet dream because, like, vampires are a metaphor for sex. That's their whole literary... Until I went to university, I was an English kid. I mean, I was an English kid, but also, like, you know, light literary criticism. I did English Lit and yeah, Lang, yeah. which was no, an A-level yeah, yeah. I, yeah, designed to make it so that you didn't actually have to do any work during the literary criticism, but you did enough literary criticism that you could be sanctimonious about it to people who didn't. Hmm. And that's why I, I like Frankenstein and shit like that. And we'll maybe talk about yeah, that later. Yeah. I mean, I, 
Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, like, and I mean, like, initially when I read, actually, the honestly, the story of why I dislike Twilight is such a long and complicated. I'll anyway. I used to be on Quizilla, okay, and I was super into the you know kidnapped by a vampire or slave to a vampire kind of stories when I was like twelve. By the time I discovered Twilight when I was about 14, I was like, I've grown out of that immature shit. I no longer go for those misogynistic, weird romance original fiction stories. Um, so that, that, you know, and I was right. Twilight was pretty misogynistic, but I was like, this is literally like a 12-year-old girl's fan fiction. But when I grew up, I was like, hey, it got a lot of people into reading. And honestly, I kind of like their idea of vampires. I think it's an original take on it. But it could have been better written, and I would have appreciated less of an abusive relationship. Portrayed. Saying that, I'm totally down for girl Jacob. I'm all about that shit. That's... We'll talk about werewolves soon. Probably. <laughs> yes. But yeah. let's start at page 297. I mean, technically the vampire entry in the 5th edition uh, Monster Manual starts at page 295, but that just sort of explains like what vampires are. And I think most of you know what a vampire is. Yeah, I, I would be surprised if I met someone who didn't know what a vampire was. Because there are concepts of them around the world. They are a very, um... They're one of those monsters that really has reached far and wide, I think. Because you have Chinese vampires that are very different to vampires, but they are vampires yeah, technically. The problem with that is that, like, whenever you encounter um, distinct cultures version of X, where X is distinctly mm. different, I'm like... Are these actually like connected things, or is this just like a yeah. f- a square hole that's been forced on this round peg or whatever the shit? Uh. Yeah, I did actually once read a webcomic um, that was about Western vampires, but they have to live by the rules that Chinese vampires are set by. So, like for example, they trip over stairs and. They'd have to count rice and stuff whenever it was spilled. They were like really OCD and stuff. So like they still like were limited by all the weird myths that they were. So they came off as like really shit vampires, but it was really funny. So and I can't remember what that webcomic's called, and I feel so bad. It's probably not around anymore because it was on Smack Jeeves, and like those comics are famous for being orphaned halfway through. But there you go. Anyway. Okay. So vampire. Medium, undead, mm-hmm. shape changer, lawful evil. Mm-hmm. Uh, so vampires have an armor class of 16, which for something with a challenge rating of 13 is not actually that high. No, You're it's You're going to get, like, um, most fighter-based characters from, I want to say, level 2 or 3 onwards will be uh, you're pretty consistently able to hit armor class 16 in a way that, you know, will do some significant damage yeah. to the thing in question. Um, mm. That said, however, uh, he, vampires do have damage resistances to necrotic damage and damage from non-magical weapons. So, uh, yeah, they're also fa- you know like fairly tank. Like for a level two to try and get someone down, one hundred and forty-four. One hundred and forty-four hit. Points, hit yeah, they, they soak up damage like a sponge. So yeah. that's I mean. You know, like, one level two player will struggle against a guard captain, which has, like, about 65 hit points, so it's like... Yeah, it's just, like, even if the thing is not particularly uh, powerful in what it can do, uh, which vampires certainly are, uh, just having a huge number of hit points, much, much more than a PC would have, is, Mm -hmm. you know, 
in some senses it's just there to, to scale against an entire party because the thing about vampires here is that they're very much like mummy lords in that they're supposed to be that's true to be yeah fought in their uh yeah they, they they have legendary actions we'll tell you that now yeah yeah but yeah i think it's um yeah but i the thing about vampires is they're very very gothic aren't they at least well, the, the way that the... Fifth edition well, yeah. presents them. It wants them to be very, very the gothic and very um, uh, rather lofty. Page two hundred ninety-six, directly opposite this one, is of a giant uh, gothic uh, castle with gargoyles and bats flying past it in the in the twilight and stuff like that. So they they definitely want to project that kind of image. Mm. Uh, and also the um, the vampire on the page before that is wearing a very um, gothic horror seventeenth uh, century. Um, European noble dress. Mm. His boots aren't very good, though. They're just sort of like plain black, like wellies, basically. Oh, well, you see, that he wears those because he's uh, an incredibly rich nobleman and he owns a huge amount of land and he goes out hunting. That's... I, f- I feel that, that, that yes. would be the explanation for those kinds of boots because if you if you own a huge yes. like stretch of moor and you're going to go out like hunting on it or showing people around it on walks and, and stuff yeah. like that just because you own all of this, uh, then you, yes, look at yeah. all of this that I own that I can only show you in the night time. Why you, can you, you only show us this in the night time? No reason. You, you would definitely want a pair of of sensible boots for doing that in. Mm. I think that's a sensible yeah. choice on the part of the vampire. Um. <laughs> I find it interesting that he only has damage resistance to necrotic damage despite being undead. But I suppose that's because vampires mm. themselves are like the cleanest of the undead. Like they they look the closest to like um living humans. They don't really decay at all. Yeah, that they're, 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 they're bangable undead. They're very bangable undead. Yeah. So it's it's like uh, yeah. I can see that while necrotic damage might not actually hurt him because, you know, mm. it's it's necrotic damage and he's already undead mm. it might do damage to his body like it might actually physically yeah. cause yeah. unreversible damage just at a yeah, reduced yeah. rate I, you know like yeah like uh out of all of the undead the vampire is the the least morally questionable to have sex with i feel unless of course he's severely necrotically damaged in which case he's all like rotting and stuff hmm. and then that's that's just not hygienic yeah fair enough um <laughs> so shit. Uh, let's talk about um weaknesses because vampires do mm. have a number of weaknesses listed here in this stat block mm-hmm. um forbiddance in fifth edition vampires absolutely are limited by forbiddance and i know thank god that's one of my favorite vampire weaknesses yeah, I, lo- I love it and i know there's people listening going oh, forbiddance makes no sense whatsoever vampires are scary and and horrible monsters they shouldn't be limited by whether or not they're invited into domicile no listen forbiddance is amazing because if like it makes vampires the perfect um things to do you know that that really weird out of character scene where like the evil being has an extended conversation with his victims when there's no particular reason why he would do that. There's an inbuilt yeah. reason for vampires to do that if they can't get into the building. Yeah. There, there is, right, there is this great, like, if you think Forbiddance is shit, I want you to look up the remake of Fright Night, okay? And I want you to see the scene where Colin Farrell's vampire character has, like, this extended conversation with the um teenager in the house it is such a well done conversation because it's genuinely really tense because 
at this point, you know that he's a vampire and the main character knows he's a vampire. So you have this, like, really tense moment of, like, he's trying to trick him into letting him in the house because he knows that he knows that he's a vampire and it's this really tense scene. So if you think that Forbiddance is shit, fuck you, you're wrong. Also, one of my absolute favourite things that I ever did with Forbiddance is this. The weakness specifies that the vampire can't enter a residence without invitation from one of the occupants. So... When I had a group of, of players trapped in a house um, to survive a night, in a scene that I was later told was very, very similar to the Quentin Tarantino movie from Dusk Till Dawn, which I have never seen, but I have set a precedent for being told that scenarios that I write are very, very similar to films I have never seen. Um, <laughs> what I did with this huge number of vampire thralls is they essentially deconstructed the building to a sufficient degree <laughs> that it didn't qualify as a residence anymore, and then they were able to enter it freely. They took the roof yeah. off, basically. They couldn't come yeah. in through the Correct. holes in the roof as long as it was habitable. Yeah. But it's like yeah, like, like yeah, like um, they they terrariated it basically, didn't they? Like this is not a valid residence. Mm. If you have, I I, I don't know if you terraria ever played Terraria, briefly, Alex. but I didn't know that that was a thing that it did. Yeah. Certain things in a have to be in a house in order for it to be considered a house and therefore a valid place to checkpoint and put a bed. Um, so yeah, mm. yeah. So they... I'm calling it now. When when a vampire literally deconstructs a house in order to like get inside. Because the only reason they were able to do it's that. It's called terraria. In. The only reason they were able to do that was because there was hundreds of vampire thralls. It was yeah, not really yeah. practical for like a single vampire to to do that. Yeah, yeah. I. Again, coming back to the movie Fright Night, I didn't think I'd ever mention this movie ever because it's it's all right, but you know. Anyway, um, previously the main character's friend goes into an abandoned house and is like, "Eh, hey, you can't follow me," and then the vampire just goes, "Oh, dang!" and then just walks in the house and is like, "This house is abandoned, you idiot! No one's residing in it," and it's 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 very funny, but also again quite tense and terrifying because he's about to murder this young man. So, lip. Mm. <laughs> um, vampires also are harmed by running water the vampire takes 20 acid damage if it ends its turn in running water I like this one also um, I would look up Garth Nix's uh, Old Kingdom trilogy beginning with Sabriel for decent ways to build suspense by the dead not being able to cross or touch running water because that's a big big mm. key theme in what the undead in that world can do uh, I don't think vampires are ever a thing that turns up but like they have what are essentially zombies and they yeah. well not zombies they're a bit more intelligent than that whites mm. maybe uh but they, they absolutely cannot um cross running water um which is used against them very very frequently uh, the books themselves are fine but you know it's it's um uh, that's it's a very yeah. very good demonstration of, of how to make that um suspenseful and not particularly silly because the, mm -hmm. the, the system of magic in that world sort of demands that you take it seriously, or it's going to go on without you. So you don't really have any choice to have like some kind of incredulity about the fact that the dead are stopped by running water, and that is one of the very few common weapons against them that the mortals mm. have that don't really have to involve like bells or anything like that. Yeah. So harm by running water is, is something you can do a lot with, as is, uh, if we can skip ahead just for a moment, sunlight hypersensitivity. The vampire takes 20 radiant damage when it starts its turn in sunlight. While in sunlight, it has disadvantage on attack rolls and ability checks. 
So do we want to talk about fighting vampires with sunlight hypersensitivity? Because that's the thing you guys have done. Well, yeah, because it was... At the time, it was the easiest way. We didn't have running water. We were on their turf. So, yeah, sunlight and sticks were the only thing we had. So, I know that we would shoot... We, we shot um, a hole in the roof? I think you shot a hole in didn't the roof, we? yeah. Yeah. Uh, blue, well, blew a hole in the roof. Well, Silas blew a hole... Silas remodelled the roof, um, and uh, we, you know, rained sunlight down in, in on them. Um, and I know also we did have one plan to draw vampires outside of the house, but I don't think they were biting hmm. on that plot. Um, so, yeah. Uh, the other um, weakness that they have is the stake to the heart. If a piercing weapon made mm. of wood is driven into the vampire's heart while the vampire is incapacitated in its resting place, the vampire is paralysed until the stake is removed. This is honestly the easiest way to get away from vampires if you are ridiculously out-leveled by them. But it does yeah. require a number of conditions. The DM is probably unlikely to want to set up for you to fight the vampire. Yeah. Um, I would also allow a stake made of iron, but not one made of silver. And I would catch players out that way. Yeah, and obviously you wouldn't allow a stake made of meat. No, I mean... Uh, uh. That might be inconvenient for the vampire, especially if it got blood on <laughs> yeah. his clothes. But it would not prevent him from getting up. Yeah. I feel though a stake of meat would work on a werewolf or any other were Possibly. creature. Possibly indeed. But not not to paralyze them more as a distraction. So there's two environmental conditions that will cause twenty damage to the vampire depending on when they start their turn. So mm. surely twenty twenty damage is a lot. 20 damage is definitely more damage than can, than can be outputted by the weapon of a player character for a significant amount of time. Mm. So, how does the vampire mitigate this? Vampires have an ability called regeneration, which means that they regain 20 hit points at the start of their turn if they have at least one po hit point and they aren't in sunlight or running water. Um, that uh, regeneration doesn't trigger if earlier in the turn order... Um, they took radiant or uh, dam radiant damage or d damage from holy water. And notice, players, that, that says any radiant damage or damage from holy water. The water doesn't have to be running, and the radiant damage does not have to be from the sun. Like it's any damage from those two um, sources whatsoever, which is very useful. The vampire will not regenerate then, because um, generally priests have radiant damage on hand. Uh, I know Sacred Flame, mm. the cantrip, is radiant damage. And if you have enough people on a team, getting your heat, your cleric to just keep Sacred Flaming the vampire when she's not healing, just to prevent his regeneration triggering, is probably worth it, to be honest. Because 20 hit points, mm. like I said, is a lot of hit points. That's yeah. like more than, even in 5th edition, that's honestly more hit points than you even have at the start of the game if you're anything other than the beefiest yeah. fighter mm. i mean that vampires are a tough monster and i think they're scary because they're a bit difficult to fight as well this is the thing but they're also the most human of the monsters i think which honestly means that yeah. they are probably the easiest to negotiate with especially That's when you do have true. like those extended conversations with them because of forbiddens they're yeah. definitely obviously they're also they're lawful evil mostly so yeah definitely if you are ridiculously out, because uh, out, they have a challenge rating of 13, if you're ridiculously out-leveled by a vampire that is alive, animate, and, you know, stalking you, honestly, probably your best bet is to try and negotiate with the vampire 
with any kind of power you have over it whatsoever. Uh, what other abilities? Shape Changer. Vampires, uh, this ability also is shut down by sunlight and running water. It seems there's uh, quite a few things that are like shut down by sunlight and water and whatever. Um, but yeah, va vampires can shape change into tiny bats or clouds of mist. Um, their other abilities are limited by what form that they're in, but they can turn into both of those things. Um, legendary resistance. They have three legendary resistances a day, and this one seems very boring, but if the vampire fails a saving throw, it can choose to succeed instead. That's really <laughs> powerful. That is really, yeah, that is Just really powerful. choosing to succeed? No. Like, that means pretty much any save-based spell that you cast on a vampire, the first one at least, will not succeed because mm. the vampire will be like, oh, I failed the saving throw, so actually yeah. I didn't. Yeah, I guess it can be counteracted if all of your players chose the lucky feat to an extent. Well, the lucky feat allows you to reroll, doesn't it? So, That's so you reroll, and then the vampire would use another legendary resistance. Honestly, if you encounter the legendary yeah. resistance thing, the best thing to do is to keep hammering the vampire with save-based spells until he runs out of legendary resistances, because he only gets three. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But he also has legendary actions. Uh, legendary actions. Quite a number of the, the monsters we might be talking about today have legendary actions, so just let me get this on the record now. Legendary actions are bullshit. <laughs> they are so fucking bullshit. I honestly can't believe it. Legendary actions can be used in addition to a monster's turn at any point whatsoever in the turn order for any reason. They're such bullshit. They are bullshit. What the hell, vamp? Mummy lords have them as well, so if we talk about those... Yeah. Um, but yeah, so, so his three legendary actions are um, move... Vampire moves up to its speed without provoking opportunity attacks. Without provoking opportunity attacks, so yeah, fuck you. Vampire can get away from you very easily without having to turn into mist. Unarmed strike. Vampire can just straight up attack you. Uh, and bite. Now, unarmed strike and bite are both attacks that he normally has, like, as his action. But he can, like, just do those at any point in the turn order. The bite, it mm. says, does cost two actions, which I'm presuming means... Oh, wait, hell. Uh, only one. Oh no! Sorry, it's not that he gets three legendary actions per combat. He gets three legendary actions per turn, and they recharge every turn. So when it says bite costs two actions, it means he can't do all three of these things at the same time uh, in the same turn, because he needs to keep two of them aside for the bite. But he could definitely hit you and bite you, and he can move and bite you. Mm. This is yeah. So here comes the explanation for that that really, really low, comparatively, uh, armor class. This guy is going to kill you so fast that it does not yeah. matter how much of his 17d8 plus 68 hit points you're burning away. He's... Um, oh, yeah. You... Uh, it is also incredibly difficult to kill them outside their lairs. It's... Yeah, now, yeah. At the moment, the game that I'm running is very, very heavy on vampires, so I have not used this rule a huge amount, because I feel it would be... Like, it would slow down the game too much, basically. But mm. Misty Escape is an ability that the vampire has, where if it drops to zero hit points outside its resting place, it transforms into a cloud of mist, as in the Shape Changer trait, instead of falling unconscious, provided that it isn't in sunlight or running water. So, sunlight and running water, secret tech against vampires. <laughs> You really, yeah. really want to pay attention 
to sunlight and running water because they are going to save your ass here. Yeah. Um, if it can't transform, it's destroyed. While it has zero hit points in mist form, it can't revert to its vampire form and it must reach its resting place within two hours or be destroyed. Once in its resting place, it reverts to its vampire form. It is then paralyzed until it regains at least one hit point. After spending one hour in its resting place with zero hit points, it regains one hit point. So basically, you do not want vampires to be in their element at all because you're going to mm. be fucked if they are. It's so, so difficult to kill and you basically have to have either sunlight or running water because it's not, it's not mm. going to happen otherwise. Um, there's an ability here called Children of the Night that allows the vampire to call uh, 2d4 swarms of bats or rats, provided the sun isn't up. Mm -hmm. uh, while outdoors, that can be wolves as well. That's similar to the kinds of things that druids can do, and it's uh, it's yeah. definitely not a good thing that it can just add combatants to the uh, the turn order, increasing the time mm. between like you know b between uh, uh, actions for the player characters. Mm. I suppose it depends on how much of a dick your DM is, really. Yeah, I mean, there's like, a lot of information, and your DM can pick and choose exactly what is and isn't true for vampires. Yeah, and also what they're going to not not use. I feel like um, it would kind of be your DM's responsibility to try and make clear as quickly as possible what is and isn't true for vampires, because the thing about vampires is a lot yeah, of yeah. their weaknesses are very, very heavily inspired by folkloric representations of vampires, which oh, makes yeah. it the kind of information is, that your players... Yeah would probably know, and if a particular myth isn't true for a setting's vampires, the players also like wouldn't know about that myth, because it wouldn't be a thing. Unless it is a well, myth, that, it's just not a, true. Yeah. That's the thing all vampire fiction does, isn't it? Is that at some point, there is an explanation about what is true and what isn't true. What does work and what doesn't work. Um, and sometimes it's like, nah, everything's basically wrong, um, but here are some other things. Um, that are true that no one ever thought of before, and then sometimes it's like all of this yeah. is true. It's very, very fitting, or, I think, that yeah. the vampire is lawful evil because they're yeah. honestly the best example of lawful evil. They are bound by so many weird rules and interactions and stuff yeah. like that. It's very, very flavorful, and I love it a lot. Um, Beth, do you want to mm. talk about the charm ability? Yeah. Um, so the charm ability is an ability where. They, they can charm you, essentially. I think we all know that vampires are, you know, charming and, and quote-unquote glamorous. You described them you as know. bangable at the start of this segment. I think we're, we're past the point where that really needs to be explained. Okay. Look, look I, well, I will just put this on the table. I much prefer werewolves. Um, we'll yeah. get to how anyway. bangable werewolves are in a bit, I'm sure. <laughs> we're probably going to roll them on the table. Yeah. Um, you know, so it's very... So, Anyway, they can charm a he we all, we've all played we've we look, we've all encountered a dryad here, okay? Unless you've never played Dungeons and Dragons before. But we've all encountered a dryad here and we've all had the experience of seeing a player be charmed. I mean it's very, very you know, unlikely with dryads if the dryads in fifth edition are the same as the ones in second edition. Like oh, that's true. I don't actually remember if this is true for the dryads in fifth edition. I have the monster manual right here so I could look it up if I wanted, but I'm too lazy. I'm certain they can well, charm no, people. No, they with can dryads. charm people, but in second edition the like set of criteria that you had to meet for dryads to even consider try uh, charming you was ridiculously high like you had to have like superhuman charisma before That's they true. would even give a shit yeah and i can't remember if that was like retained or not but i feel it's much more likely that you've um experienced an attempt to charm you from like some other monster like a vampire yeah so it's you know and obviously you have to make a, a save for that, but once you are champ, basically the vampire can just be like, 
well, they can do what they want with you, I suppose. They can, you know, bite you until they're all, like, good and happy and regened, or they can, like, I don't know, make you fight your friends, make you turn against each other. Or I guess they can just have you as, like, their thrall, eventually, I suppose. I guess it depends on the vampire and, and how much of a creep they are. So, yeah. Mm. Definitely. And, of course, this is the, 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 the meat of the thing. The bite attack. Mm. This one's important. Not only is it quite possibly the most powerful attack the vampire has, it's also, let's be honest, what the DM is going to want the vampire to be trying to do most of the time, because otherwise, what is the fucking point in fighting a vampire? Yeah, why, why'd you bring vampires into this if they're not gonna... Like maybe if if this is like the only vampire your players are going to encounter for a very long time, then possibly like the players are fighting the vampire just because the vampire is a very powerful evil being and like there's no real biting involved. But I run a setting where there's fucktons of vampires because of a plot bullshit point. Mm. So vampires want to be making more vampires. The vampires in my setting especially want to be making more vampires because there's a specific reason why they want to be doing that. So the bite attack is very important. Um... It does have very strict criteria, though. It can only be done on a willing creature or a creature that is grappled by the vampire, incapacitated or restrained. Mm. Um, it gets plus nine to hit, which is uh, the same as the unarmed strike. So, yeah, plus nine to hit and all. Like, the vampire is really, really, really like a uh, tissue paper cannon. Mm. Like, it just <laughs> soaks up yeah. a huge amount of damage that he will be taking while killing you very quickly. Yeah. Um, on hit, he does 1d6 plus 4 piercing damage, which is not great, plus 10, that is 3d6 necrotic damage. Necrotic damage is really, really nasty. <laughs> necrotic damage, um, your hit point maximum is reduced by an amount equal to the necrotic damage taken. You still take damage, but also your hit point maximum is reduced, which means... Until you uh, take a long rest and push your hit point maximum back up to the top, you can't regain hit points past that new threshold. So you might get necrotic damage to death. Like, even if you were being constantly healed, you can be necrotic damaged to death. Um, the target dies if this effect reduces its hit point da uh, maximum to zero. So yeah, even if you are being legitimately constantly healed to such a point that damage cannot be done against you, like lastingly, your hit point maximum can still be reduced to zero, and then you will die. A humanoid slain this way and then buried in the ground rises the following night as a vampire spawn under the vampire's control. Oh, also, the vampire regains hit points equal to the amount of necrotic damage you took. So that's another way that the vampire can protect himself. He can regenerate his tissue paper hit points by sucking your blood, which is in flavour, I think. Fucking... Mm. Fucking vampires, uh, man. Vampire spawn are specified on the next page, and they only have a challenge rating of five, so they're still pretty damn nasty, but they're way easier to deal with. And as a DM, you oh, can justify yeah. bringing them in in like large numbers way easier. Uh, they mm. don't really have as much um, in the way of like abilities. Uh, they still have the. Oh, I didn't mention spider climb. Uh, vamp. Yeah, well, yeah, but spider. Everybody knows spider, what spider climb. climb. They can is. stick to walls. Yeah. They walk. Up th they they walk up walls. Yeah, they they don't have to do. All the other shit that, that some other monsters yeah. do. Um, so Vampire Spawn and Vampires both have Regeneration and Spider Climb. Vampire Spawn have all the weaknesses that the Vampires do. They don't have Legendary Actions or anything like that, and their stats are yeah. lower. Um, but they still have that fucking Bite Attack, and they can still turn you. 
just as much as normal vampires mm. can. So vampires in general will fuck you up. They're very, yeah. very dangerous. And there's also some rules in a little green box here for like more powerful variants on the normal vampire, as if you needed more powerful variants. Like, yeah, yeah. The vampire is challenge rating 13. It's going to be a while before you are up to defeating him. And I think even like the optimal party that the challenge ratings are based on at level 13 would have trouble with a vampire just because there's so much bullshit they can pull to not die. Mm -hmm. But hey, if you can kill one, it's 10k XP. Yeah, yeah. So good luck. Um, good luck. Right, uh, do we want to roll the, the big D20 of fun to see what, yeah, we, sure. what we're, we're going to talk about next? Um, five. What is five? Demi-liches. Hmm. Well, we can talk about demi-liches, but I think we should maybe just talk about liches in general. Yeah, liches in general. So maybe just go to the, the demi-lich uh, entry first, and then we'll just talk about liches. Um, you know, despite them turning up on this podcast, I don't think liches are really very spooky. That's not really the kind of undead that they are. Yeah. Um, uh, like, so, okay, you got the demi-lich. Oh, is it... Sorry? Oh, it's the, uh, the weird skull thing, isn't it? A demi-lich is essentially a lich experiencing um, withdrawal symptoms. <laughs> Liches have this weird thing where they need to feed mortal souls to their phylacteries, and if they don't, then yeah, they, yeah. Uh, they just sort of fall to bits until there's only a skull left. But the skull still has a challenge rating of 18. These things are really, really fucking powerful. Mm, um, yeah. But mainly, again, because they're, uh, they're, they're able to cast a whole load of spells... And they're resistant mm. to quite a lot of things. Oh my god. Okay, so I just I actually want to check if the, the Lich and Demi Lich stack blocks of resistances are like the same. They might be actually. If um, I would Lich, think they would like, be, right? It's the same. Um, I, they would at least be very very similar. But uh, yeah, Lich is the original on guard fuckboys, right? Oh, actually, no, that's the flaming skull. We'll get to that later. Uh, oh, no, they are actually different. Oh. Yeah. Well, I guess, I mean, I guess being kind of like... Yeah, okay, so, um, demi-liches, here's some good news. You can damage them with non-magical weapons. I don't <laughs> suggest that you do, because if you're in a state to fight a level 18 challenge rating monster and you do not have a magical weapon or otherwise non-magical weapon resistance avoiding weapon you've fucked up somewhere <laughs> mm. bad things have happened but um he only has the demi-lich only has resistance to bludgeoning piercing and slashing from magical oh no sorry you can't damage them with non-magical weapons he has resistance to bludgeoning piercing and slashing from magical weapons so i guess that's just like yeah sorry i i Magic must defeat magic. I can't believe I'm fucking quoting Chucky Chan Adventures at a time like this. That's very strange, actually, because the Lich doesn't have any <laughs> resistances to um, damage from magical weapons. They bo they're both immune to non-magical weapons, but the, the Demi-Lich is resistant to magical ones. And the Lich is not. Mm. I suppose it's like the Demi-Lich is like the Lich, but also almost destroyed. So there's not really a huge amount of it to, to destroy with weapons. So it's very mm. difficult. Or maybe just because it's harder to fucking hit. <laughs> yeah. It's just a, a skull. It's a head. You would you would think, though, really, 
fighting a demi-lich. I don't find demi-liches particularly scary because, like, let's face it, you get the upper hand on it, you could just pick it up and throw it out the window, right? Well, I mean, the image implies that they can fly, uh, and indeed so does the stat block. It actually gets flying at a legendary action. And it would have to, right? Oh, yeah. otherwise it's just sort of a skull yeah, sitting just, on the Yeah, it does say fly. Yeah, yeah. Um, Still, I mean, the idea of just taking this immortal, like, undead super mage and just throwing him out the window being like, nope, none of that. I don't know. Um, I, I don't find Demi I mean, Lich is I, I very scary as a thing. I don't think he'd want not... to touch him because he gets, legend, no, he gets I... a legendary action called Energy Drain. Each creature within 30 feet of the Demi Lich must make a DC 15 constitution saving throw on a failed save. The creature's hit point maximum is magically reduced by 10. Yeah, but ba- we know, like, Balthazar could make that man. Balthazar could make that man. He always, like, gets his con checks, like, it, you know... Um, Put, put oh. like, a little plastic glove on, pick up the demi-lich, throw it out the window, dunzo, close the window. Sure, but he would take that No more demi-lich. If you've, got, if you've got more than one demi-lich, the interesting thing about this is, unlike the, um, unlike necrotic damage, that maximum hit point drain is permanent. It can be restored by a greater restoration spell or similar magic, but you can't sleep it off. So, if he comes into in contact with multiple demi-liches, they're all going to use that on him, and he will eventually die by having, by be being hit point maxed oh, to zero. Okay, okay. I mean, you would think, though, if, like, multiple demi-liches got in, like, one area, they could all, like, evolve and, like, turn into, like, a super demi-lich with, like, eight demi-lich heads. Like, um, Execute and Executor from Pokemon. And they all have, like, different facial I expressions. Although I, I guess actually demi-liches would be more likely to occur in groups because that would, like, explain <laughs> why they were demi-liches. Like... If they all have to feed souls to their phylactery, but there's only a limited number of souls to go around in the area, and like none of them yeah, were really yeah. able to meet their quota, and then they all turn yeah. into demi or it's like, or it's like a lich support group. Like, hi, I'm Zenon, and I'm a lich. That's okay, Zenon. We're all liches here. So, like, you know, five thousand years ago, I started feeding souls into my phylactery, and I want to stop now. And I realize that that's going to be a really hard road. What the shit? Uh, because all all my bones are going to turn to dust, and I'm going to like just be a skull. Sorry to interrupt your your skit. I am really really <laughs> confused here. Um, in terms of like just fucking bullshit resistance to anything that could harm them, demi liches are significantly more powerful than liches. Liches get turn resistance, so they have advantage on saving throws against any effect that turns undead. Demi-liches can't mm-hmm. be turned at all. They're just completely immune to I... any effect that turns undead. Now, yeah. demi-liches have fewer hit points than liches, but in both cases their average is actually lower than the number of hit points that a um, vampire has. Liches have an armor class of 17, demi-liches have an armor class of 20, which is presumably related to like their dexterousness in the air and the fact that they're a fucking head. You can't really hit them mm. very easily. Yeah. Um, like demi liches just seem fucking better, despite the fact that they have a challenge rating three levels lower and fewer hit points. And you could buff yeah. the hit points. I think it's maybe because like it's like I think because the way they're described is it's like the lich's last saving throw, right? So they're putting everything into this one fight in the hopes that they can put mortal souls into their phylactery, right? So they're just putting everything into it. Oh, uh, the Lich's um, max hit point draining uh, ability is way better than the Demi-Lich's, though. It does use yeah, necrotic yeah. damage, which is much easier to 
like fix than the demi lich's one, mm. but it does sixty six necrotic damage, whereas the uh, the mm. demi lich's one only does three d six. So yeah. he will de-level you to death way faster. Um, yeah, it does cost three actions for him to do that. Yeah. Um, whereas the uh, the three action ability of the demi lich is kind of shit because it just gives the target disadvantage on attack rolls and saving throws which if your yeah. dm hands out inspiration and i know no dm ever does but if your dm does yeah you've probably got some in the tank actually i think you can only have one inspiration sure, you have one inspiration in the tank you're, you're still going to use yeah. it to mitigate that problem yeah i i would have liked to have been a dm that gives out inspiration but i just forget do you know what i mean i never really know exactly when to hand it out even when i am reminded of yeah. it yeah it it's meant to be for like really good role playing. And basically. I do try and reward really good good role playing. But yeah, it's just, yeah. Eh. No, um, yeah. I, I don't want to spend too much time on on liches because as I say, I don't really find yeah. liches all that scary. I think they're nah, they're just kind of well, like not, not all that skele- scary. They are scary, obviously, and if they were real, I would be fucking terrified of them because they're ridiculously powerful, unbelievably evil, and they have your worst interests in mind. But they're not very That's spooky. True. I don't think they're yeah. just they're essentially like. A really powerful evil wizard whose face is falling off. <laughs> he might have just turned into a flying skull. Yeah. <laughs> like in terms of of you can communicate with this being and have a civil conversation with it. Liches might be even more that than vampires. Yeah. Yeah. Possibly not because I think a, a lich is sort of contemptuous of of everything and probably just trying. Like, yeah, but I, kill I mean, death. if you talk to a lich, it's like it's like, hey, I mean, especially if you're like an evil motivated player, you're like. I know some souls you could put into your phylactery. Eh, eh, points to group. I just need you to do this favor for me and, like, maybe not kill us right now when the lich is like, okay, roll persuasion, you know? And if it works, hey ho, if it doesn't oh, work. Okay, this is the reason why demi liches are so much less good than liches. Demi liches can't cast spells. That's pretty important. Of course they can't, because they're not. That they're a demi-lich, I don't really see any particular reason why they wouldn't be able to. I suppose maybe they can't really do the hand motions associated with casting spells. Yeah, they don't really have a body... Liches themselves are ridiculously powerful spellcasters, and most of their lair powers are... um, I think most of them... Is it most of them? Definitely at least one of them is uh, Mm. centred around regaining spent spell slots. But they... Mm. Yeah... Liches are 18th level spellcasters, so they are ridiculously mm. powerful. Like, he gets one slot where he just gets power word kill. He can straight up yeah. murder one of you with his voice. <laughs> and. I do have to ask this actually. Is it possible for a player. Like, because I've never fought Liches and had any kind of extended interaction really with Liches at all. Is it possible to become a Lich as a player? There are ways it can be done, and your DM might yeah. allow a player to research one of those ways, but you would have to basically become an 18th level spellcaster first. Yeah, so it's, it's true. it's really like endgame stuff, and it is a very evil thing to do. Oh yeah, don't get me wrong, it's an evil fucking thing to do, but I'm just wondering. Oh, you will be pleased um, to know, people listening, um, the Lich can't regain the spell slot that he uses to power word kill you. In his lair, because he he rolls a d8 and he regains a spell slot of that level or lower, and power word is a ninth level spell. Yeah, (laughs) just fucking imagine walking into a like a lich's lair. He just turns around, he just straight up kills like the tank of your team. Death back though. (laughs) Yeah, that's like boom, he's dead. Dead, and you're like, oh no, magic fireball. Fireball will fuck you up. Yeah, all of these are are not to be fucked with. I think 
if you want to go with a straight up bigger fight, the Lich is better. If you want to go for a more interesting fight, I would recommend the Demi Lich. It, it looks yeah. way better in terms of like the cool abilities it gets. And of course, you can mm. stick it on your players earlier because he has a lower challenge rating. Yes. If you care about that sort of thing, which mm-hmm. you probably should to some level. Here's a question. Do you think a lich would keep, like, a tub of, like, demi-liches? Like, you know, like, one of those, like, big glass tubes? And just have, like, loads of, like, demi-liches, like, bouncing around in it and, like, like, like kind of like a fish tank? No. Do you think that's something a lich no. would do? because liches would consider demi-liches to be other liches in a state of weakness, but not that much of a state of weakness. Like, liches, if you get a, a lich and a demi-lich to fight, the lich will probably win, but it's not something he would yeah. just do casually every day. Oh, yeah. No, I, I understand that. would have to concentrate that. to win, that. so I don't think the Demi-Liches would be happy yeah. with being kept in a tube. Is there, like, so, like, there's sympathy for your fellow Lich, then, I, I guess. respect for the power of your fellow Lich. Respect for the power of Especially your Lich, yeah. Especially since, like, I if like you're a Lich, you probably have, like, mortals in your um, lair to feed your phylactery, yeah. so if the Demi-Lich can yeah. get anywhere near them, he's gonna turn back into a Lich and fuck you up. That's true, yeah. Liches tend to be so powerful that they're not really encountered in groups at all, though, so the, I guess that doesn't really yeah, come up. Yeah, that's true. But man, Lich Turf Wars, imagine that. <laughs> well, yeah. Anyway, let's move yeah. on from Liches and Demi-Liches, because that's not really yeah. what we want to talk about. They're not, yeah, they're not really that scary. I guess they're skeletons. Oh, yeah, kind of I mean, they're, they're decomposing, but... Um... Yeah, but deep down, aren't we all skeletons? I mean, like... So... A lot of, of stories about the undead have an evil necromancer, and you could make him a lich. There wouldn't be any problem with that. Yeah. But even yeah. in that scenario, like the fact that he's a lich is sort of incidental. Yeah. Also, like, come on, it's isn't it kind of stereotype? Like, to make the lich the necromancer, it's kind of stereotypical. I almost find it offensive, well, and I'm not even a lich, like... man. <laughs> I feel that most very powerful necromancers will have looked into becoming a lich at some point. Yeah. 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 Just because, like, like... I guess it depends how vain the necromancer is, right? Because he's like, sure, I want to live forever, but I also don't want to be a skeleton. Hmm. Mm. You know? I don't know. The, uh, the, the lich in the, I, DM, I... in the monster manual doesn't look too bad. He still has most of his skin. Yeah, but he's got a nose, and he really, really needs to go to a nail salon and get those sorted out. Sure. Let's move on. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. Ooh. Spectres, page 279. Well, that's not too far away. Spectres, uh, I love the art in this entry. It's real good. Real, real fun. Ah. Is it as good as the one for Shadow? Because the one for Shadow, the Shadow is one is good. really good. I, I don't think it's that, it's that that good, but it's it's still pretty nice. Not 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 Shadow level. Oh, that's. Mm. No, I, mean, man. I, I, I kind of like the, the screaming. He's purple. That kind of kills it for me, to be honest. Yeah, he's made of smoke. It's, it's cool. That's true, yeah. He looks right. Yeah, I guess, I guess he's kind of scary. Alright, so Spectres. Spectres anyway, yeah. are essentially like. I mean, they're malicious Yeah, they're, they're ghosts, next level they, really? ghosts. They yeah. are uh, quite horrible in terms of uh, mm-hmm. doing the, the horrible. They have sunlight sensitivity, so yeah. that's a callback to vampires, it would seem. Um. But like mm-hmm. ghosts, they can move through other creatures and objects as if they were difficult terrain. Um, oh, yeah. but, but they they don't want to end their turn inside an object because they'll take damage from doing that. So evidently they're sort of semi-corporeal. Yeah, I mean... Ooh! Mm. They have a life drain action, and that is in fact their only attack. 
So uh, wow. that was necrotic damage as well. 3d6 necrotic mm. damage. This thing has a challenge My, rating of 1. However, yeah, however, if you pick the ver- poltergeist variant, they do get more attacks. I, f- like, I feel like if you're going to be like looking for classic horror monsters, then you want the spectre entry for the poltergeist rules. Because spectres are just sort of, yeah. the, you know... Like, but e- well, they're like fa- they're like fantasy ghosts. E- aren't either they? your spectre is just like blanket replacing ghosts because you think ghosts mm. are shit, or you're using the poltergeist rules because it's like a spectre. Is, yeah. is like well, what is this? But it has mm. a poltergeist has a challenge rating of two and is invisible, mm. which is a step up on the uh, the spectre. Yeah. It doesn't have the life drain ability, but it does have a three d six slam uh, ability. Three d six force mm-hmm. damage and telekinetic thrust, um, where uh, oh, it uses charisma against the target's strength. It's essentially grappling at range. Um, yeah, where it just sort of hurls people and objects around, mm-hmm. and uh, you take one d six damage per ten feet moved if you come into contact with a hard surface or heavy object. Mm-hmm. Man, I just want to read the uh, Beyond Redemption feat. When a ghost's unfinished business is completed, it can rest at last. No such rest or redemption awaits the spectre. It is doomed to the material bla- plane. Its only end is oblivion that comes with the descri- destruction of its soul. Until then, it bears out its lonely life in forlorn, pla- forlorn places, carrying on forgotten through the ages of the world. Damn! Yeah. Like, Shit, man. The spectre, I think, is a really good... Um thing to use if you want to like set the uh, spooky menacing environment in a very very low level um... yeah campaign that's yeah. the weird thing about undead if you actually look at the um, the plotting of undead creatures in the monster manual in terms of challenge rating they sort of stop around level 6 and then they only pick up again at level 13 there's this whole yeah. chunk of like the distribution of the monster manual where the undead just sort of go away um, yeah. So, like, spectres are pretty good low-level undead if you want to add some variety from like skeletons and zombies and whatnot. Yeah, I mean there will be a lot five fifth edition monster there, there manuals, will. and they will there have will. other monsters yeah. in this, and I'm sure they will fill that out, especially if they bring out a lot of Ravenloft um, set adventures because they're going to want more monsters for that. Sure. But... Yeah, I think that, that's that's reasonable. Yeah. But anyway, let's move on. Oops. Yeah, I think we we yeah, ghosts are spooky. We might still get Ghost, because it's in there somewhere. Uh... Yeah, Ghost's also spooky. Oh, right. This is one that I kind of have to maybe explain a bit. The Doppelganger. <laughs> Alex. Man. I will say that the art for Doppelganger on this page, is r- it really unnerves it's me. Very, it's very, very creepy. Yeah. But Alex, you might ask, why have you put the Doppelganger on the monster list? That is not a spooky monster. I would contend that it is a spooky monster. Because yeah. if you think, like, if I don't want to have, like, the undead or, like, demons and shit in my horror movie, what is deeply, deeply unnerving as a, like, fantasy creature that I would put into, like, my horror film? Some kind of, like, weirdly alien being that has the ability to shapeshift into yourself or people you know and imitate you yeah. almost exactly... That's really creepy. There have yeah. been horror films. That on is that, really that creepy. Principle. Yeah, like the idea that you can't trust. Like, I mean, but one of the best movies ever on this is probably. I mean, you're probably going to see the Somebody Snatchers, right? I'm like, no, it's the thing. The thing is really creepy as a movie. It's really scary because everyone gets so paranoid. I feel like if the doppelgangers were like the thing from another world in the thing, they'd be like crazy powerful. But like, just the idea alone. That 
a doppelganger can manipulate people and make people paranoid, that's scary in itself. Also, doppelgangers, challenge level three. So you can make these guys turn up really, really early and start fucking oh, yeah. with people's shit. Also, yeah. if you introduce them in a way where they are discovered, um, having already doppelganged someone, then your party have no idea whatsoever um, how many doppelgangers there are. Might be that everybody in the party except the person thinking that thought at the moment is a doppelganger. Who knows? Mm. Like The fact that they're able to completely infiltrate the um, party is, I think, really, really, really good. And yeah, like Beth's references to the thing, This is that is the sort of way that you can use a doppelganger. They don't have to be spooky, but I think they can definitely be utterly bloody terrifying. Like, mm. You know, like, they are, like, you know, someone not being who you thought they were, that's scary on its own without them having Especially to be a monster. Especially when you don't know how long that person hasn't been who you thought they were, and you don't know what has been happening to the real person in the interim point. Like, yeah. doppelgangers are amazing because they very insidiously um, seep control away from the people in the story in a way that, like, mm. can't really be mitigated until the deception is discovered. Mm-hmm. They are the essence of deception, and honestly, the only thing that, like, really uh, doesn't work in the doppelganger's favour is that the doppelganger as a base creature is not incredibly powerful. Like, once no, you yeah. figure out the doppelganger, then you can probably just beat this guy to death. It mm-hmm. gets um, advantage on attack rolls against any creature it has surpri- surprise, yeah. but, you know. Yeah, I do want to say this, though. The fact that a doppelganger is telepathic and can read thoughts, that's actually pretty scary anyway. That's scary as well. Especially... It knows what, yeah, you're, it thinking. Knows what you're thinking. Which means that the doppelganger, like... For one thing, you know that thing um, that they, they always do, where they're like, hey, um, say something... Like, say our code word, or say something... Because that's the thing. Like, people, for a long time, parties yeah. had this thing where they would agree on a code word that the DM didn't know to detect whether the uh, player, the, the creature in question, was a doppelganger. Uh-huh. That won't work with these doppelgangers because they can read your mind to figure out what the code word is. They can even read your yeah. memories of the person in question to determine something that they might convincingly say. Yeah. Beyond that, how much, like, beyond that, like, here's the thing, how well do you know the people you're playing with in your party? Because I will tell you this right now, players, everyone you're playing with is a traitor to you, Okay. They they want to betray you and they want to fuck with you actively. So if a DM's like, "Hey, do you want to play a doppelganger?" They're going to be like, "I've played a doppelganger uh, before. I legit yeah, I want to play have. a doppelganger." My player character yeah. died. There was a yeah. doppelganger in the building he died next to. I got to play a doppelganger for an entire session, and it was fucking awesome. And I very nearly <laughs> murdered the entire party. Yeah, that's what we like to hear on this podcast. We like it. When doppelgangers murder While reading everyone. a target's mind, the but... doppelganger has advantage on wisdom, insight, and charisma, deception, intimidation, and persuasion checks against the target. These things are scary as shit. Yeah, like, look, they're terrifying. Mm-hmm. Absolutely so, yeah. Um, some very nice flavour there about them. Uh, basically, um, like... Uh... Doppelgangers are too lazy or self-interested to raise their young. <laughs> they assume attractive male forms and seduce women, leading them to raise their progeny. A doppelganger child appears to be a normal member of its mother's species until it reaches adolescence, at which point it discovers its true nature and is driven to seek out its kind to join them. There you go. So, yeah. Wow, changelings. It's a real yeah. dickish of um, you. For those of you who are reading along uh, on the opposite page, you can uh, see some really cool art and introductory lore for the Draco Lich if you want to look at some more skeletal stuff, but I think we're going to move on somewhere else. 
Mm-hmm. Watch us roll Flame Skull. I really want us to get Flame Skull just because he sounds like a super villain from the DC universe. I mean, we don't have to do the roll. We can just skip to Flame Skull if you, you wanted. That's got sure. a Flame Skull. Let's That's, do Flame Skull. I at least I at least want to see his artwork. Do you know what I okay. mean? So anybody who's played Doom knows about the uh, the the <laughs> inherent uh, dangers posed by a maniacally laughing skull that is always on fire and flies around. <laughs> That's fucking amazing. That is literally oh, what the flame man. skull is. Right, this thing is challenge rating four, so you can introduce them pretty soon after you introduce doppelgangers. Oh god, fuck boy! Like, seriously, that's, that's I, like... I absolutely can imagine this flame skull in this art screaming that. <laughs> I mean, he's not really scary so much as he is metal as fuck. Like... I can't remember where I've seen this, but I have, I'm sure, seen a clip of um, essentially one of the lost souls from Doom, which is just yeah. a skull engulfed in flames laughing maniacally as it bounces off walls. And I mean, that's... It's. I think it's in that weird space where, like, it's really, really silly, but it's also kind of yeah. scary. I... It is. I mean, they're, they're presumably very quick and very um... maneuverable. They're very small. They can fly. Yeah. They can like find you in most places. Um, touching them yeah. will hurt you because they're always on fire. Uh, yeah. And also, you know, it's a head. It could bite you. Yeah. D- I, right, th- this isn't like a D&D character, but I actually have this one character who is a necromancer in like other fiction that I write, and she's mute, and, and she communicates with something very similar looking to this, right? So I'd, that that's what I see when I see that. I, I see this screaming skull attempting to communicate I love, calmly. I love flame skulls. They're just... They're great. Cause, because cause um, I think the, the thing is, they're not spooky, but they're scary, yeah. as in... Yeah, this thing like that, is. They have that very strong, scary aesthetic. I think this thing they? is such a, a a concentrated combination of so many visual shorthands for imminent danger. It's a human skull. It's on <laughs> fire. It can move much, much faster than a human being. It can fucking fly, which means that it's very difficult to tell where it is at any given point. Uh, and it laughs and screams maniacally. Here's the thing. It can cast um, fireball, right? Yeah. Does does it just fire itself at you? No, or can no, it? Or does it, it shoot it, fireballs it, like, out its, its mouth? mouth? Fireball comes out. Oh, that's fucking amazing! It's like a fucking. I do Pokemon. find it incredibly amusing that the flame skull can cast spells, but the demi lich can't. <laughs> <laughs> but there you go. Um, okay, <sighs> one of the the really important things about flame skulls that has come up the one time that I have inserted them into a uh, scenario is flame skulls have rejuvenation. It is very very difficult to kill these things permanently. If they're destroyed, they regain all of their hit points in one hour unless holy water is sprinkled on their remains or a dispel magic or remove curse spell is cast on them. And at challenge rating four, especially if you are in a large party that is maybe not even up to level four. Getting access to those spells or to holy water is not as easy as you might think, especially within one hour of killing this thing, where a lot of your spellcasters, especially if flame skulls have come in groups, have probably expended the spells that they have available. Hmm. Can I can I just say that the the idea that it can only dimly recall its former life, and it might speak in an old voice and recount events from its past. That's actually quite scary if you've had players who've died and have became flame skulls. Oh yeah, it would be absolutely like, horrible. There's yeah. a bit in... I'm just imagining like like what you could do in terms of um, body horror for creating these things. 
If anybody's oh. played Doom 3, Doom 3 was shit, okay? But it had a couple of moments where it seemed like they were at least vaguely aware of what they were doing and their weird, we want Doom to be system shock kind of deal. There is a scene very shortly after the introduction of Doom 3's Lost Souls, which are the most shit Lost Souls in Doom 3's history, but whatever, I'm getting off track, where you see this crying woman who is experiencing severe physical distress and as you watch through the window of like the cabin that she's she's locked in her skull bursts out of the top of her head and just flies away it's, it's not, fucking terrifying mm, and i i, I, I feel bad, like yeah. you could do that to like a player if like some horrible um thing had like caused them to become a flame skull like just their skull rips out of the front of their face or something and flies off <laughs> Just like burning away the remnants of the flesh by being on fucking fire. Amazing, yeah. And then, then like that's going to be really, really horrible for the players if it starts like just speaking in its old voice and. Uh, yeah. You know. So yeah, I mean, I think mostly these things are just like fucking scary because there's there's so yeah. such a concentrated microcosm of danger warnings <laughs> yeah. that we're trained to to yeah. see as as threats. But also, you could make them like. Um, very much a, a horror thing if you try to root them in like body horror disgust or um that peculiar yeah. kind of, of psychological horror that comes from like seeing things that used to be people yeah well i i've mentioned this but i don't like seeing pickled brains in jars <clears throat> because i'm like that's literally a person it freaks, oh, yeah, me, it out. freaks me out as well, well see i i never liked seeing pickled brains in jars because it's body body horror thing but now since yeah. I saw your Tumblr post about that, it freaks me out because oh, of sorry. that. Because I'm like, sorry, yeah, that is a person. <laughs> that is, you are holding, yeah. that, that is a person like the size of half a football and you're just yeah. holding them in your hand. Yeah, yeah. That's really fucking weird. Although, of course... Was, I'm really sorry I fucked no, you up no, with it, that. No, like, yeah. no, it would have happened eventually anyway because if anybody here, uh, here has played Wolfenstein The New Order, yeah, that was <laughs> fucked up. <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't really feel I need to say anything more because I think anybody who has played like even past the intro sequence of Wolfenstein: The New Order will know exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah, right. There's this one Marvel character, and she's just a brain in a jar. I mean, she's te- she's telekinetic mm-hmm. as well, but she's a brain in a jar. That really freaks me out. I don't like that idea. Ma- Mal- Mala von Mala, he's a brain in a jar, and also married to a gorilla. Um, but he's a brain in a jar. That's weird. I don't uh, like H.P. it. H.P. Lovecraft's The Whisperer in Darkness, which is a shit book that proved to me that H.P. Lovecraft can't write for Toffee, but whatever. Um, the ending of that, and I will tell you the ending now because you don't need to read the book, is about like the aliens um, removing people's brains and putting them in jars, and then like you can talk and see and whatever because they can connect like the jar that you're in up to like cameras and and speakers and stuff that will allow you to do those things, but only when they say that you can. And they are like revealed to be malevolent, and and stuff like that. But no, otherwise that story is a story of an incredibly gullible man who is uh, fooled by a really really obvious trick that he probably shouldn't have been fooled. That's by. a re- that was that's a knowing from what I know of H.P. Lovecraft stuff, I generally think H.P. Lovecraft stuff is like that's really weird that like you're sort of thinking oh it's going to go in this eldritch and then all of a sudden aliens. Uh, he, I think like if you. No, you want he, your brains. He, he actually like started progressing onto aliens um, around the point that Pluto uh, was discovered because his whole deal right. is like um, like 
humanity being part of of a greater thing that is so big it renders them irrelevant and space really appealed to him in that sense so some of his later work yeah i just don't like the whisper in darkness because the main character is the most gullible shit i have ever read of yeah yeah so it's it's not like it's not like hp lovecraft saw that saw that pluto was discovered and was like pluto is jewish or something like that it wasn't like his racism Thinking in again. Well, uh, like H.P. Lovecraft's racism like, is also is tied into his like fear of of being part of hu- a huge thing, most of which is unknown to him. Like, yeah, the, the space thing was just sort of the next progression of that. It's not yeah. honestly that that cool, but um, no. Yeah. In, in the Whisper of Darkness, the aliens come from Pluto. Yeah, I I feel like if H.P. Lovecraft were around today, all of his like stuff. One, it would be sci-fi, but one, it would also, you know, like how you get like space Jews and stuff like that, where there's like this one alien and it's like a really racist Jewish character, anti-Semitic ca- caricature. We've all seen them. We all know I mean, where they I are. I feel right? like H.P. Lovecraft would probably co-sign that in other people's work, but I don't really think he'd yeah. be that interested in portraying like aliens that were not actively menacing you, and you really don't learn a huge amount yeah. about them other than they're gonna fuck you up. Yeah, I I also feel like um, H.P. Lovecraft would be like, if he were around today, he'd be one of those people who were like really, really popular, and Tumblr's like, no, his writing is so problematic, though. I don't know, the thing about... Uh, Let let me talk about H.P. Lovecraft for a moment, right? The thing a lot of people don't understand is there's authors like Rudyard Kipling, and Mm -hmm. give me another author who, like, more recently we've realised, hey, their work is like maybe, well, not even their work, but like they as a person were kind of shitty. Dang, um... There's, there's fucking fuck tons of them. I, I know, mean, there's like, loads it... of them. Hemingway? I don't know, Hemingway was a bit of a heel. Ian Fleming's dead, isn't he? Yeah. I'm pretty sure he's dead. Yes, because there aren't any more yeah, Bond sure, books. Right. So yes, stuff like dead. that. Lovecraft was not like that. People hated Lovecraft in his own context. He was a notorious xenophobe. His wife left him because of it, like... <laughs> really? I didn't know any of this. Like, because... His wife was Jewish, and he actually at one point straight up told her that being married to him made her not Jewish anymore, and shit like that. Like, it, people didn't care enough that they would like, actively do anything about him, but he was severely right, so, disliked. So basically, for it. it was like they'd invite, like, people would hear that, like, Lovecraft was coming to dinner, and people were like, oh shit, he's gonna say something really racist, though. Do we have to invite Lovecraft? And like, yes, we have Love- to invite Lovecraft. Lovecraft. Was, he invited was... us to his dinner party last week. We have to invite Lovecraft. The thing about Lovecraft is that he was so xenophobic, it was basically impossible to get on with him <laughs> because, like, um, The Call of Cthulhu. Yeah. Lovecraft wrote uh, The Call of Cthulhu. Is it The Call of Cthulhu? No, not The Call of Cthulhu. Um, Shadow of Rinsmith? Yeah, I think it's Shadow of Rinsmith. Mm-hmm. He, he wrote. Which confused me for a moment because Cthulhu does turn up in yeah. Shadow of Rinsmith, but it's not like the Call of Cthulhu is the one where like a boat splits Cthulhu's head open because he came out of a temple or something. Yeah. Not that one. It's the one where a guy goes to a, a town yeah. full of fish people, and then later he turns. It turns out that he is one uh, of the. Fish oh people. yeah, that one. Lovecraft wrote. Yeah, Lovecraft wrote that because he found out that one of his grandmothers was Welsh, and he had like a xenophobic crisis about the fact that he was not complete genetically wasp. That's that is that, so that is the weird. level that, of no, like, that is re- that's myopic really, xenophobia really weird. that Lovecraft had. <laughs>